Man, and we are in, as a parent, it's crazy. I've got two young kids, so I'm just going to be, you know, just a little real with you guys. I've got two young kids. I've got a third grader and a, and a fourth grader, right, or a fifth grader. I can't remember what it is. And so uh, they, they are, earlier this year, they were talking about, are you kids going to go online or are they going to go in person? And I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, look, man, we have spent too much time with my kids from like spring break, spring break started summer, right? And so I was like, now nah, y'all are going in person. I'm like, I don't know, Dad, if we want to go. And I was like, I don't know if you have an opinion. You don't have an opinion, right? And I was like, you're going, you're going, you know, in person. You're not doing online, right? So we started kind of researching what was going to happen, right? And so, uh, so their school is going to have like face shields and, and masks and all these things. And I'm just thinking as a kid, I would have decorated my face shield. You know what I'm saying? It's like I would have made pirate face on it. And so I'm like, man, this is, this is terrible. They're going to have this going, right? And so they got to wear face shields and they got to wear masks. And so we've been kind of debating as parents, like, are we bad people? Like, are we terrible people for sending our kids to school, right? It was like, it's like I, I never would have thought sending my kids to school would be a trivial thing, or that, or that my decision-making as a parent would be coming into question by sending them to school, right? So we made the decision. We're like, all right, we're going to send you to school because, look, we cannot do this thing online. You know, man, I'm a terrible math teacher. They're like, hey, we're going to figure out fractions. Done. I got you, right? One quarter, right? One half. Three quarters, one whole. Fractions, right? Then my daughter's like, no, daddy, we got like, to like add the fractions. Like, all right, one quarter plus one quarter. One half, right? She's like, no, Daddy, it's, it's a little bit more than that. And I started figuring out, I don't know third grade fractions, right? I was like, so there's no way my kids, like, I'm doing them a disservice if they come and they, and they stay with me. And then on top of that, like, having a little space for, for their, your kids to learn, right? And you look at all these, like, Pinterest moms, like, super extra, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know what kind of life you live, but we don't live that life. And so they post pictures of, like, like got the school corner ready, you know, and it's decorated, got their name on the wall. And us, like, the kitchen table, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, this is, this is different. And so me and my wife were at, were at Ikea uh, last week, actually, and, uh, and we were, we were kind of shopping for a few things. And we asked the lady, said, hey, do you, do you know where this thing is? And she's like, well, we're all, all, all out of stock. She's like, it's crazy. You know, they stop production in, in Sweden or wherever that stuff is made. And they've got the strangest names. Whoever names them is just the weirdest thing, right? And so he's like, like all that stuff is kind of stopped. And I was like, oh, great. She's like, uh, is there anything else you're looking for? She's like, but you can't say desks. And I was like, why not? She's like, we had a shipment of desks come in this morning. And people were literally getting over in fistfights over the desks. I was like, are you, are you kidding? I was like, why are people fighting over desks? She's like, I guess they're stressing out because their kids are going back to school and they're going to be doing it online. They're trying to give them a space. And I was like, look, man, I'm not fighting anybody over a desk. I'm sending my kid in, right? And so it's crazy to think that, that all of a sudden the stress that's happening and coming with parents and all of these things is manifesting itself in this anger, right? It's so crazy that these people wouldn't lose their minds over this stuff beforehand, but now it seems a stress. Excuse me, the stress has been risen, it's been lifted, and now people are, are freaking out over these things, so much so that they're fighting each other over a, you know, a $30 desk. It's crazy and it's wild. And I begin to think that every situation that I face in life, right, every situation that I face seems to be the biggest situation I've ever faced. Every situation I face, I'm like, wow, this is a big one. I don't think I've ever, and it seems to be so magnified in front of me that it seems to be like everything else pales in comparison to what's going on right now. Like everything else seems to pale in comparison to, to what I've been through. Everything I've walked through, everything I've done, it seems to pale in comparison to the situation in which I'm facing right now. 
It's crazy that, that, it, that it is that way. And, I, and we face some pretty big things. And right now, the biggest thing we're facing is, are we bad parents for sending our kids to school? I'm like, babe, what are we doing? I mean, having late night talks about this stuff, doing research all online, figuring out, you know, what's happening. And it seems to be like, like every situation I face is the biggest situation I've ever faced. And Paul kind of talks about this in 2 Corinthians. And this is where the key scripture for, for this whole morning's come out and up. And we, we titled this message, He'll Do It Again. He'll do it again. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, <clears throat> it reads like this. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Because Paul's writing this to the church of Corinth, right? He, he's, he's writing this, this letter to them. He's qualifying where he's been and what he's walked through. When you, when you read this, you, you understand, like, wow, Paul, you've been, you've been in a lot of dangerous situations, Paul. You've almost died, Paul. Like, that's crazy. What are you doing? And all Paul is doing is fulfilling God's call on his life. That's what he's doing. He's fulfilling God's call on his life. And he's writing the, the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, he, he's writing them to encourage them for what they are currently going through as well. And he's writing them to encourage them that, hey, look, in the past, in the present, and in the future, the Lord is working on our behalf to rescue us. And he qualifies that. He said he's, he's rescued us from, from almost death. And, and he's continuing to rescue us. And guess what? He will also continue to rescue us. He's saying it, it's going. You're being rescued. You've been rescued. And he'll do it again. And he finds, himself, he, he finds himself reassuring the church of Corinth of where they're at. He's also bringing them a, a little bit of perspective of what he's been through and what he's walked through. I think a lot of times as Christians, when we say, hey, when we pursue the things of God, when we go after God, it's going to be smooth, it's going to be easy, it's going to be great, it's going to be everything we ever dreamed of, and it's quite the contrary sometimes. In the beginning, it's great and it's awesome. You start being a small group leader, oh man, this is so awesome, and then all of a sudden you start getting people in your small group. It's like, it's like, oh my gosh, these people have problems, these people have issues, these people need prayer, these people, uh, they, they keep blowing up my phone, they want to keep hanging out, they want to come over, all these things, like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, right? You start thinking about all of those things. The moment you begin to start pursuing God, uh, it, it, it just begins to open up. It doesn't make you immune, immune from stuff, it doesn't make you, you know, that you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to kind of walk through this thing unfazed. Paul's literally doing the call of God, fulfilling the call of God on his life. And he says, hey, guess what? We've been rescued from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We place our confidence in him, our hope in him, that he will continue to rescue us. doesn't matter what you've walked through. doesn't matter what you're currently walking through. It doesn't matter what you're going to walk through. We can put our hope, our faith, and our confidence that Jesus himself will continue to rescue us time and time again. Your circumstance, no matter how big it is, your situation, no, no matter how difficult it may be, we can put our hope and our trust and our faith in the fact that Jesus has done it. He's rescued us out of things. Each and every one of us can point to something that the Lord has walked us out of, that he will walk us out of those things. We can say, he's done that for me. He's walking through this thing with me. And guess what? When I face something else, he's going to be with me. Then we can put our hope, our faith, and our trust in that very fact Man, there's not a lot of things that we can put our hope in right now, but we can hang our hat on the fact that Jesus said, hey, man, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. I'm your deliverer. And guess what? I'm not going to do it just one time. There's not a little punch coupon thing that you've got. Once you got through 10, sorry, bro, can't help you out anymore. He says, guess what? I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I've walked you through things and I'm going to continue to walk you through things. And guess what? When you get in the junk again, I'm going to be there too. In Matthew chapter 14, 
It's an it's a awesome passage. The whole chapter is great. It starts with, with a little bit of a sad thing. John, John the Baptist is beheaded in Matthew chapter 14, right? And then right after that, we see Jesus perform one of his most famous miracles is Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? It's awesome. It's great. The disciples are there with him. Remember, you know the little story? They, they go and they get the, uh, the, the, the five loaves and the two fish, and, the, and Jesus fills, feeds a multitude of people through that. It was awesome. And immediately after that, in chapter 14, Jesus kind of tells the disciples, hey, man, I'm going to go away and pray. And we're going to pick it up right here in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Remember, this is right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Verse 26, when his disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28 says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Yes. So this is a whole passage going out there. Right? Jesus has, has dismissed himself to go pray. He's going to go recharge. The, the disciples are, are on their way to the other side where Jesus had told them to go. They're, they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Go to the other side. They're on their way there. And it's really, really late, almost before dawn. They, they would say this is between like 3 and 6 in the morning, right? Maybe, maybe the moon is shining. I, I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, the disciples see a figure in verse 26 kind of coming towards them. And they're afraid that it, it, it's a ghost, right? The, the disciples were sailors, they, they were men of the sea, and so I can only imagine what stories they had been told, what folklore they had been told about, you know, sea monsters and crazy things, you know what I'm saying, for the Hispanic people, el chupacabra, right? And so it's like, like, oh my gosh, you know, mira el chupacabra, right? And so, and for my, my, my wife, friends, the Loch Ness Monster, you're like, what? You So who knows what this thing really is, right? They're all freaked out. Who knows what the Jewish folklore thing was? You know, I have no idea. Oh my God, it's a swimming pig. I don't know, whatever it may be. It's crazy. But they're scared of this thing. They're, they're, they're terrified of this thing. I, I don't know if it was like on the 13th night. If the 13th night falls on the 7th day and the moon is at 2 o'clock, right? That's when he appears, right? He's like, so they're freaked out, you know. They're, they're, they're rowing the boat, you know. The winds, are, the winds are coming at them. And one of the disciples says, you know what? It's the 27th. Oh, my gosh, you know what? It's the seventh day. Oh, my God, look at the moon. It's at 2 o'clock, and all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking towards them. They're freaked out, man. They're terrified. They're scared of what's happening here. You would be, too. All of a sudden, you're on the boat. You're fishing. You're, you're doing whatever, man. It's middle of the night. A dude comes walking to you on the water. You're freaking out, right? Crazy thing was is Jesus was just with them. Jesus was just with them, right? He, he was just with them. They had just fed 5,000 people hours before this. What made their heart be fearful Instead of expecting. What, what made their heart turn to fear instead of expecting the Lord to do something? Right? And then, and then it gets a little bit closer. It gets a little bit closer. And in verse 28, Jesus begins to tell them, hey, 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 guys, it's me. It's me. Now, Jesus had to been far enough away. 
that they couldn't visually recognize him, right? They saw a figure coming towards them. So we know that there was a little bit of light that they were able to see a figure coming at them, but they weren't able to discern the physical features of the man to discern who that person is. They saw a silhouette. There, there, there's this thing that's walking towards them. There's this thing that, 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 that is you know, coming at them. And all of a sudden, Peter calls out to it. says, if it is you, Lord, ask me to come, and I'll come out. He's getting confirmation. He can't see who it is. Jesus has to be maybe, maybe 20 feet away. They're not able to discern who he is at this time. But they're going to get an audible confirmation on who this is. And Peter calls out to Jesus, Jesus, if it's you, call to me. Now come to you. And Jesus replies with one word, come. Man, Peter climbs out of that boat. Peter, Peter climbs out of that boat. He starts making his way towards, towards Jesus. I would imagine when Peter got out of that boat, he was pretty excited, right? He's like, yes, yes, this is awesome. But what happens to Peter? He begins to sink, right? Man, he's in the midst of the very thing that Jesus, that, that he asked Jesus for. He's in the midst of the very thing that he asked God for. God, if it's you, call to me. If it's you, bring me to you. Come on, let's do this thing. How many times have we gotten in the middle of what we felt the Lord has called us to do and said, Lord, what is this thing? I don't want this no more. This is hard. This is terrible. This does not look like the picture. Like, it, this is not it. This is not it at all. We get into that thing. We're like, Lord, where, where are you? This is not what, this is the picture and this ain't even close. You know what I'm saying? Like, not, not even close. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere based on the brochure. You're like, man, that place looks amazing. That place looks awesome. And you get there, and you're like, this place is terrible. What is this place? And you go back, and you look closely at the, at the little date stamp on the pictures. 1997. You're like, what? They haven't updated this thing since the 90s. Like, what's going on? Mexican families ha ha have a, 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 I mean, just a notorious for this stuff. My grandfather used to eat these little, these, little, uh, these little peppers called chile de monte, right? And so he would eat these and he'd put them in his taco, man. He'd eat them like they were candy. And, uh, and these things score like a forty to 60,000 on the Scoville scale of like hotness, right? And so, and so, man, little kids be asking, you know, my little cousin be asking, you know, I want one of those. I want one. Can I have one? Can I have one? Can I have one? Can I have one? He's like, no, stop me, Hito. You don't want that. You don't want that. Finally, I'm going to give you what you want, right? He says, oh, you want one? Give it to him, right? Man, I'll never forget my little cousin put that in his mouth. He's five years old. Put that thing in his mouth. And all you Hispanic people know this, right? All the deals come around. They watch him, watch him. You know, look, watch him, watch him, watch him, right? And he puts it in his mouth and bites that thing. <laughs> and where does he run? Straight to his mama, right? You just hear him talking a little bit. All the deals laughing, right? And he come back. Why did you give him that? Because he wanted it, right? Because that's what he wanted. That's where Peter feels right here. He's, he's walking on the water. He's going towards Jesus. He's doing this thing. He asked for it. Nobody else was dumb enough to ask for this thing, right? All other 12 people on the boat were like, all right, cool, Jesus, keep coming, right? Peter, nah, Jesus, that really you? Yeah, it's me. All right, tell me to come to you. And he gets out and he goes, right? And he's walking and he's doing this thing. And he's out there. And the moment that he gets out there, the moment that he gets out there, he's walking on it. Man, everything begins to change for him. His, his focus shifts. He's doing the very thing. He's doing the very thing that he asked Jesus to do. But I would imagine he didn't think it would be as hard as it was. Every single one of us have things that we want God to do in our lives. There's places that we want to be. We look at the end result and say, Lord, I want to be there. That's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. Lord, I want to speak. I want to sing. I want to be CEO. You know, I, I want to be this. I want to be that. 
And you say, great, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you that. But you know what? It doesn't happen overnight. That's not something that just happens. I'm going to give you the tools and the experiences that you need to get there one step at a time. Because if I put you right there right now, man, that ain't going to happen. That picture's not going to last. That thing's not going to sustain. And Peter has this moment. He's walking with the Lord. He's going with the Lord. And he's literally following after Jesus. And he's going after him. And a lot of times we think that's scary. It's like, Lord, I'm, I'm following after Jesus. It's just, a, it's just a faith walk. It's just a thing. The thing about following somebody is if you're following them, they're going before you. Right? If, the, if, if you're following somebody, they're, they're going to encounter all the pitfalls before you even get there. If you're following somebody, man, they're going to flag the things that are danger to you before you even get there. Following Jesus is one of the safest places that we can be. As he's going before us, all we're doing is we're following right behind him. We see in verse 30, Peter's focus begins to change. It it, it begins to shift. And it says that Peter began to focus on the winds and the waves more than focusing on Jesus. When he got out there, I would imagine, man, he, he could just see the silhouette of Jesus. The winds, the boat was rocking, but he wasn't looking at that. He was looking at that silhouette. And the moment he got out there, he crossed to him. He began to put his focus on everything else around him. He began to notice, oh, my gosh, that's a pretty big wave. Oh, my gosh, man, this wind is really strong. Oh, my gosh, Jesus, how are you doing this? And he began to put his focus on everything else that was around him rather than focusing on Jesus himself. You know, that's how seasickness kind of kicks in for us. Your, your, your eyes and your inner ears begin to focus on two different things. They begin to feel two different things, right? Your inner ear is saying, hey, man, we're moving, you know, all sorts of crazy. And your eyes are looking at something that's focused. And that's how seasickness kicks in. That's how seasick. If you've ever been seasick, it's like the absolute worst because it doesn't end until you get off the boat, right? Or unless you stay on the boat long enough that you just finally get acclimated to it. You know, there's, no, there's nothing more for you to get rid of, and, and your body's just kind of like, all right, look, we're on the water. That's what it is, right? And so, and so that's kind of what happens. And so your eyes and your ears are sensing and feeling two different things. And as Peter's out on that water, he's feeling, he's feeling the, the very same thing. He's got a spiritual seasickness. As his faith is telling him one thing, but his eyes in the natural are seeing something different. His faith and his flesh are fighting in that moment as he's on his way to Jesus. He took his focus off Jesus. Because guess what? Walking in in faith doesn't necessarily always make sense in the flesh. Come on, walking out in faith doesn't always make sense in the flesh. It's called faith. That's why it's called faith. And we see that when he gets to Jesus, finally he gets there. He gets kind of close. He begins to sink. And Jesus doesn't let him just swim to the boat. Jesus just doesn't let him say, all right, bro, come on, get up. You can swim. Come on, dude. He doesn't do that. He grabs him. He literally grabs him up. He doesn't get mad at him. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't do anything like that. He grabs him and he tells him, man, you have little faith. And he asks him a question. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And guess what? I don't believe that boat came to where Jesus and Peter was. I believe that boat just kept kind of doing its thing. And Jesus and Peter walked together back to that boat. As they're hand in hand together, as Jesus is walking Peter back to that boat, and he asks him that question, why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? I think a lot of us have been asked that question by the Lord before. Why'd you doubt me? And he began to give him, I would imagine, just a very practical answer. Jesus, oh, there's water. It was wet. My sandals were wet. My little, my little man rub that we wear is wet. All the bottoms, all wet. It's crazy. The wind was blowing it up. It was like, it was crazy. Jesus, I began to focus on everything else. 
you know, then all of a sudden the lightning was going and it was just, it was crazy. Lord, I, I don't know. I just began focusing on everything else, Lord, and, and I, I knew you were there, but I, I just didn't, I don't know. Everything else seemed to be bigger. The situation I'm facing seemed to be the biggest situation I've ever faced before. It was, it was just, it was just there. And Jesus grabs Peter up. It might have looked like Peter failed. It might have looked like all the disciples making fun of him, like, ah, dude, you fell in the water, you sank, you're so scared, like, help me, right? And so they're just roasting him, I would imagine. I would have been like, look at you, bro, ah, you can't even swim, what? And so it's crazy, I would have roasted him for sure. But when everybody else was looking on from the boat at Peter's potential failure, Peter ended up in the arms of Jesus, right? I mean, everybody's looking on, and everybody in their heart, in their minds, wishing they were in the spot Peter was. They were wishing they were there. I wish I had the courage to get out of that boat. See, let me tell you something. Later on, Peter would fail Jesus again. Later on, he'd do it again. But guess what? Jesus restores him again. Because guess what? He'll do it again. There's no expiration date. There's no, there's no time stamp on that thing. He'll do it again for you. There's three things I want you guys writing down this morning on what to do when you're sinking. Three things I want you to write down on what to do when you're sinking. Number one is this right here is identify what's causing you to sink. you got to identify what's causing you to sink. The winds and waves, they, they, they didn't cause Peter to sink. They were there before he even got out of the boat. When he saw, he was afraid. When he saw that, that word broken down is blepon. It translates to regard or to take heed. He started contemplating the potential of the winds and the waves that were around them, what they could do. He started seeing the potential of that instead of focusing on the potential of what God had in him. We have to begin to, to, to identify what's causing us to sink. What's causing us to sink. Come on, it wasn't, it wasn't that Peter disobeyed God. It wasn't that Peter disobeyed Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 Peter, stay in the boat. Peter got out anyways. No, it's that Peter, he, be, he began to focus on other things. Come on, guys, when we're starting to sink, we got to identify what those things are. In Job chapter 34 Verse 32, it says this, it says, teach me what I cannot see. If I have done wrong, I will not do so again. Maybe you're sinking because you stepped into something a little too early than what the Lord was calling you to. Maybe you're sinking because we've put ourselves in situations sometimes that we're like, you weren't even supposed to be there. You wanted a better job, right? You thought that would make you happy. If I made just a little bit more money, if I could just take the family on more vacations, if we had just a little bit more liquid cash here in the savings account, if we just get that padded a little bit more, and then you find out that that new job demands more time, which means less time with your family. So the very thing that you set out to get the new job for is actually killing the very thing that you try to save it from, right? It's crazy. You start thinking about that. Or maybe if I had a baby, if I could just, get, if I could just have a baby, things would be better. And all of a sudden that baby, you guys weren't ready for it in your marriage yet, and that baby is the thing that's causing you guys to sink. It's it's the, 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 you know, the kind of the contentious point of your marriage. You're maybe thinking, maybe if I just get married, all things will get fixed. And you're in this thing. You're like, who is this person? What's going on here? You have to begin to identify what's causing you to sink. A lot of us want the, the safety of the boat with the blessing of walking out on the water. It doesn't happen that way. The only way you get the blessing of walking on the water is by getting out of the boat. It's the only way you can get that. And guess what? If you're out of that boat, you got to identify what's causing you to sink because it's not Jesus that's doing that. Jesus called you, said, come to me. Let's go. Let's do this thing. If you're sinking, there's things that you've got attached to you that don't need to be there that are bringing you down. You've got to be the guy to identify those things and how to mediate them, how to begin to take care of those things. Rather than us just keep drowning, we've got to humble ourselves. 
We got to get help. You got to humble yourself and you got to get help. The second thing is just right here. Is keep heading towards Jesus. You got to keep heading towards Jesus. That's what Peter did. Peter didn't stop and try to go back to the boat. Peter went after Jesus. He, he kept going towards Jesus. He kept heading towards him. I had a great, great friend of mine. Who, uh, who, who was in ministry and, and was kind of, you know, he, he got hired on early on and, and so super proud of him. And he's, he's on at, at a prominent church in our area and he's doing it, he's loving it, he's liking it. A couple years into it, we're having lunch and he's like, man, you know, I, I don't know if this is the place for me, this, this and that. He just began to kind of be nitpicky, extremely critical. I was like, bro, what's going on with you, man? He stayed there about, a, about a, a year longer from there and ended up getting an opportunity to go to a really cool up-and-coming church in the Northeast. And so he, he's up there. He moves. Man, they're paying him great. He's got, a, he's got an awesome marriage. You know, the, it's, just, it's just everything that you would kind of like look for in a ministry opportunity. It's happening. I mean, the, the church is, is growing. I mean, they're in, a, they're in a fluent area. It's just crazy. And I talked to him. You know, right as he gets there, I said, like, how's it going? He said, man, it's great, dude. It's awesome. It's awesome. About, about two, three years into it again. We're talking, he comes down and he visits, and he's got the same critical spirit on him again. And he's like, you know what, it's not this, it's not that. Like you can ask him, he's like, bro, what's going on, man? Your heart seems to be in the same place it was, you know, a, a couple of years ago. I mean, like literally, almost verbatim, the same thing you're telling me right now is the very thing you were complaining about back there. Just begin to kind of see these things. And what happened was, is this guy in the midst of it all, he started getting hurt because they weren't giving him more opportunity than he thought he deserved, right? And that he began to, to be critical and say, well, this is what I want now. This is what I want now. I want this, I want that, I want that, and I want this. And instead of keep going towards Jesus in ministry and doing what he's doing, he says, you know what, I really want, I really want the safety of this, and I want the safety of that. I mean, this is one of the most, most talented communicators I've ever met. I mean, just an extremely, extremely gifted individual. He ended up leaving that church after four and a half, five, close to five years. Bad split with the pastor. Bad, bad split of what was happening. They gave him the opportunity that he wanted to go ahead and, and kind of plan a campus. And that thing went completely haywire. Went really, really bad. And he says, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. He ended up moving back here. He's working in a little family business while the gift that the Lord has given him is just kind of wasting away. Come on, guys, if, if we're going to get these things, if we're going to get this stuff, if we're going to keep, if we're, gonna, we're not going to be able, you know, to sink and all this. We have to keep heading towards Jesus in the midst of difficulty. You have to keep doing that. It's going to get hard. It's going to get tough. But we have to keep going and heading towards Jesus. We have to keep doing that. Peter kept doing that. He kept going after Jesus. First Chronicles 16, 11 says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. We have to keep going after Jesus. There's no option of going back to the boat. There should never be an option of going back to the boat. Well, I'm just going to go back to what I'm used to. I'm just going to go back to, to, to what was comfortable for me. I'm just going to go back to that. Because guess what? The moment you go back to the boat, it's never the same. It's never the same. So we have to keep going towards Jesus. And the last thing is just right here. You have to cry out for rescue. You have to cry out for rescue. We see Peter did that. Peter said, Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. And Jesus reached down in there. And he grabbed him. We have to cry out for rescue. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, He has no use for conceited people, but shows favor to those who are humble. Man, a lot of times crying out for help is a humbling experience for us. Crying out for help and saying, look, I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this. 
That's a humbling experience for us. There was this kid named Ravi Sani out of the UK. I think we got his picture. Ravi Sani out of the UK. It was this little kid. Look at him. Oh, little kid, right? He's having a beach day with his family. Awesome time. Great time, right? And he goes out a little bit too far. He goes out a little bit too far. And, and, and he, he said he was swimming, you know, doing his little, his little thing in a British accent, you know. And, uh, and so he, he's doing his thing. And he's swimming. He said, I realized that I was a little too deep. He said, when I try to swim back, he said, the current pushed me out. He said, my dad tried to come get me, and the same thing started happening with my dad. He said it was up to his neck, and he couldn't come get me. And this little kid, Ravi Sani, he, he watched this, uh, he, he was in love with this BBC documentary about, like, sea survival and stuff like that. And so he, he, they interviewed him, and they said, well, well, what did you do? He said, well, I did what I saw on the BBC survival show. I spread on my legs like a starfish. I just floated there. This kid floated for over an hour in the starfish position, right? Floated for over an hour, what he learned on the BBC documentary. He floated for over an hour, over half a mile out to sea, just on his arms and his legs. And you know what he's doing the entire time? He's crying out for help. Help! Help! Could you imagine being that kid? You're in the ocean. Ain't nobody gonna come help you. Can't nobody hear you, right? Help! But in a British accent, I don't even know how to say that. You know, it's like, I don't even know. I'll be like, what is that? That's weird. Who is that? And finally, his dad runs to go get 911. They come out and they, they get him and they send a rescue ship to him. They're looking for him, looking for him, looking for him. And they can't find him. Turn the engines off. And they hear this kid, help, help. And they saw his little body bobbing out in the middle of the ocean. Could you imagine? Half a mile. Some of you can't even run half a mile. I can't. You know what I'm saying? He's like, ain't going to happen. I could probably float half a mile, right? And so he, he goes out there for over an hour, over an hour. Can you imagine how terrified you'd be? I'd be like, all of a sudden, Hey, look, dolphins ain't my friends, right? Shamu's not my friend. Sea turtles ain't my friend. Everything's trying to eat me in the ocean, right? It's like, no way. There's no friends in the ocean. I ain't even supposed to be here. I'm so sorry for, for trespassing on your territory, Mr. Turtle. I'll get out of your way just as soon as they rescue me. It's crazy. I mean, he, he, he floats what he learned in the little documentary on the BBC. It's so crazy. And they're, they're interviewing the kid. And he's smiling. His dad's all happy. But could you imagine? I mean, he, he's out there. He's out there. And he did the thing that he knew he had to do. He said, I got to stay afloat. I just got to keep crying for help. He said, I, I, I got to stay afloat and I got to keep crying for help. Come on, that's what we got to do. When we get in the midst of these things, when we get down in this stuff, I think we get embarrassed like, Lord, I, I, I'm here again or Lord, I need you again. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. We need to cry out for rescue. Lord, I need you. Lord, you need to come grab me. Lord Jesus, I'm reaching my hand out. Lord, I, 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 I need you right now. Lord, I'm crying out for rescue. And Lord Jesus, guess what? I'm not going to forsake what I've known. Lord, I'm going to keep doing what you do. You see that little kid? He's, he, he didn't try to come up with a new technique. I'm going to try to swim back. He did the very thing he knew to do to survive. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to lay out on a starfish pattern, and I'm going to keep my head above water, and I'm just going to keep crying for help. A lot of times, that's all the Lord needs you to do. Just keep doing what you, what you need to be doing, man. Just stay afloat, bro. Come on, just stay afloat. And as you cry for help, guess what? I'm coming to you. Hope's on the way. Help's on the way. I'm on my way to you. Don't try to invent something new. Don't try to do something different. Just keep doing the same old thing. Reading your Bible, praying. Going to small group. Reading your Bible, praying. Going to small group. Right? Just keep doing that same thing. And guess what? Help is on the way. Help is on the way.